This is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. Wow, looks like it's ladies' night. Hello. Hola. Hola to you, too. This is episode 36. The ladies will like this. In this episode, I will tell the story of ultra-running pioneer Ruth Anderson, who paved the way in the early 1970s for women everywhere to participate in the sport. Ruth Anderson pioneered women's marathon and ultra-running in the 1970s at a time when virtually no American women participated in the sport. She established numerous American women's ultra-records and became an inspiration for the first generation of American ultra-running women. She was a nuclear chemist and began running at all distances, especially marathons, in her 40s. Thus, all of her many running accomplishments, including world records, were achieved as a master's runner. She became an icon and inspiration in the Northern California running community, where she was probably its most prolific runner. But her greatest impact on the sport was made behind the scenes. She aggressively worked hard to open up doors for women and master's runners to compete in long-distance running. The famed ultramarathon London to Brighton race was opened up to women in the 1970s largely because of her persistent lobbying. The women's master's division was established in running because she wouldn't accept no for an answer. She strived to tear down decades of bias and false beliefs about women and their capability participating in the sports. Ultra-running legend Anne Trayson said, I don't think a sport would be where it is today if it hadn't been for Ruth. She just was a very fair and generous and kind person who you could really share the love of running with. Ruth Frances Perney was born in Omaha, Nebraska in 1929. She was raised in Nebraska by highly educated and professional parents. Her father, Dr. James Francis Perney, was also born in Nebraska. Ruth's father became a dentist, was a leader, and served as president and secretary for various dental associations. He was also an athlete who played football, golf, tennis, and was a member of the Omaha Tennis Club. Her father was also very involved in the theater, both acting and directing in the 1920s and 30s. In 1928, he was the director for a performance put on in the local playhouse. His assistant director was a young 23-year-old actor who would become very famous, Henry Fonda. Ruth's mother was Florence Barney Nason, also of Omaha, Nebraska. Both her parents were graduates of the University of Nebraska. Her mother graduated in home economics and taught home economics at Benson High School in Omaha. With upper-class parents, Ruth attended Brownell Hall Boarding School for Girls for both elementary school and high school. It was an Episcopal school in Omaha, Nebraska. Ruth said when she was growing up in Omaha, girls were not encouraged to play sports. But she was very athletic, and during the 1945-46 school year served as vice president of the Brownell Hall Athletic Association. She followed in the footsteps of her father and played tennis. She said, Since tennis was somewhat acceptable, I took that up. 
She said no one pushed her to be truly successful, but she was successful and played for more than seven years in various city tournaments and won both singles and doubles. In high school, she lettered in tennis, basketball, field hockey, and volleyball. She never thought about running. What fun would that be? She attended Stanford University in 1950 and received a bachelor's degree in chemistry in 1951 from the University of Nebraska. In college, her outside interests were tennis, swimming, horsemanship, as well as music and art. In 1953, she was married to John Thomas Anderson, a graduate of Western Military Academy in Illinois and the University of Nebraska. He became a veterinarian. In 1962, the Andersons moved to Oakland, California, where Ruth worked as a nuclear chemist at Lawrence Radiation Laboratory, located near the campus of University of California, Berkeley. Anderson started to run in 1972 when she was 43. She would swim in the employee pool, but the heating broke, and she looked for other exercise opportunities. At noon each day, a group of fellow workers at Lawrence Radiation Lab in Berkeley would go jogging. One day, they convinced me to join them. I'd never run, although I did have stamina from tennis and swimming. I completed a mile and a quarter. Afterwards, I thought I'd die. I swore that was not going to be my sport. It left me with a horrible, awful taste in my mouth. It was hard. I don't know why I took to the sport. After the first day, it all kind of snowballed. By early 1973, she started to race two miles, five Ks, and 10 Ks. Fellow runners recalled that she had an astonishing stamina rather than remarkable foot speed. About 50 years ago, women were not allowed to run in marathons. In 1967, Catherine Switzer famously crashed the Boston Marathon, and mid-race, the race director physically tried to get her to stop running. After that incident, Catherine recalled, and suddenly I realize, you know, if I don't finish this race, then everybody's going to believe women can't do it and that they don't deserve to be here and that they're incapable. I've got to finish this race. I finished in four hours, 20 minutes. That race changed my life. The Amateur Athletic Union, or AAU at the time, was governing American amateur running and worked to prepare athletes for the Olympics. By 1970, the AAU received growing criticism regarding its governance, arbitrary rules, locking out some runners, and banning women from some competitions. In 1970, the New York City Marathon ignored AAU rules and allowed women to run. In other marathons, some daring pioneer women runners wouldn't be stopped, and others joined in to run in races without official registration. The AAU threw up their hands in despair and realized that women would keep running whether they liked it or not. For the 1971 New York City Marathon, the AAU finally agreed to allow women to participate if they started 10 minutes before the men. Later that year, the AAU agreed to allow selected women to run in marathons, subject to the approval of the national chairman. Selected women were those who had run in marathons previously which made no sense since they weren't allowed before. The AAU permitted women to run in the 1972 Boston Marathon, but the Women's Track and Field Committee, severely out of touch, stipulated that women should start from a different time 
or place than the male athletes. The race director outsmarted the AAU and simply extended the starting line to the sidewalks, a different place, allowing the eight women entrants to start at the same time as the men. In 1972, New York City Marathon, the women protested the marathon's 10-minute delay policy, and six women refused to participate in the special start, sitting down for 10 minutes until the men's gun went off. At the Trails End Marathon in Oregon, women were required to provide health certificates, and the men were not. The AAU soon removed these practices under the worry of discrimination lawsuits. When Anderson started to run, few women were running long distances and certainly not women over 40 years old. She became a pioneer master's marathoner. Her first marathon was run on September 30, 1973, the Champagne Marathon in Nampa, California, and she finished in 3.52 in fourth place. This started a 29-year career running many marathons. Anderson came to love running marathons and would race many each year. To train, she would often run eight miles during her lunch hour. Soon, she would also race nearly every weekend, participating in events of all lengths put on in Northern California. She quickly made her mark at the end of 1973 by winning the Fiesta Bowl Marathon in Phoenix, Arizona and setting the Women's Masters Marathon World Record with 326. Two months later, in February 1974, the first AAU Women's Marathon Championship was held in San Mateo, California. Anderson, age 44, ran a 3.20, lowering her World Masters record. It was written about that event. This day was perhaps the most important step ever for women's long-distance running, as the fair sex proved to the world that they could handle officially the classic marathon distance. Anderson's amazing accomplishment gained national attention when the Sports Illustrated magazine made mention of it. In July 1974, she ran in the National AAU Masters Championship Marathon in Portland, Oregon. There was no women's masters category and officials refused to make one. Anderson ran anyway with the men and finished 11th in a field of 22, with 322 lowering a world marathon age record. She was the only woman entrant. Anderson decided to take on the AAU, which she called a monolithic organization interested only in training Olympic material. She was instrumental in getting women over 40 to sign and present petitions to the AAU convention in New Orleans. Women runners are a forgotten minority. We petitioned for a national master's division for both men and women and an autonomous long-distance running commission for women. We succeeded, so I guess the AAU is finally shaping up. In 1974, Dr. Ernst Van Aken, a German and strong supporter of women's running, organized the first Women's International Marathon Championship. It was held in Bodniel, Germany. Forty women from seven countries competed in the event. Anderson was one of nine women selected by the AEU to compete and represent the United States. She was thrilled to be included and to go to this historic race. The course was held on a 10K loop. The women practiced on the course during the days leading up to the race. It was quite flat with only one slight rise, though a most charming countryside in a short distance through the town of Valdnil. 
The women also enjoyed taking a trip to Dusseldorf to visit the shops in beautiful, extensive shopping malls advertised as Germany's fashion and crafts center. They also associated with the German runners who could quote all the best times of the visiting American runners. A press conference was held introducing runners the night before. Here is the German broadcast introducing the American favorite, Judy Eikenberry. Hello. <laughs> my name is Judy Eikenberry, and I live in Crestline, California with my husband and my three children, who are four and six and eight, and hopefully being good. Drei Kinder hat sie, sechs, vier und acht Jahre. Kindergärtnerin ist sie gewesen. Jetzt ist sie Hausfrau und... On race day morning, Anderson and her friend Joan Oliot nervously jogged together three blocks to the sports hall early to pick up their bib numbers. An amazing number of people were milling around the start-finish area, which was roped off for blocks. Flags of all the participating nations were snapping in the brisk breeze. Beautiful to watch. Crowds of enthusiastic children collected autographs from the runners. Positions on the start line were assigned by number and team rank. The French and the Americans were in the first row. After the starting gun went off, all the runners seemed to take off in a sprint. Anderson recalled, It was truly thrilling to run past all the cheering crowds that lined the course. There were two aid stations on each loop, manned by young local runners who would meet the runners before the aid station, ask them what they wanted, then sprint ahead to get it. The volunteers would then run along with the runners while they drank. The wind was stiff on the long loop course, Joan Oliot said. The disadvantage of the absence of men was clear. There were no large bodies to tuck in behind to shelter us from that headwind. There was plenty of time to enjoy the course half of it into the wind, but mostly past cheering crowds, the other half on a bike path beside lovely woods with a view of Valneal and its church across the fields. We also ran past farms populated by enormous swine. The local photographers loved to shoot views of us running past the sows. For contrast, I hoped. Random people, including children, ran along with them at times. Many others bicycled along, including race officials barking instructions to the German runners. It was quite a spectacle. One of the American runners, Marilyn Paul, tripped over her own feet and fell to the ground, aggravating a previously sprained ankle. Sie allerdings muss eine kleine Pause einlegen, die Amerikanerin Marilyn Paul as she hobbled along the overzealous German Red Cross in search of a victim, drove by and abducted Marilyn into the ambulance over her loud protest of nine, nine. On her third 10K lap, Anderson's pace started to slow in the stiff headwind. It was said she was blown around like a leaf on the last lap. She pushed on, finishing strong with a time of 3.25 and won her 40 to 50 age group among nine contenders. To the delight of spectators, Leanne Winter of Germany won with 2.50. Many people thought some of the women might die because they held on to the view that long-distance running was very dangerous for women. Red Cross ladies flocked around us dispensing blankets and hot tea. We had to explain to them, however, that we were only tired, not dying. 
They kept trying to drag us off to the field hospital while we wanted to stay and watch the others finish. The awards ceremony was held in a basketball gymnasium in front of an enthusiastic crowd. Dr. Van Aken, who had fought so long and hard for acceptance of women into marathons, felt vindicated and was very moved. They partied until 3 a.m., Anderson said. I was personally left with a feeling of immense gratitude for having been part of all this. My hope now is that with this excellent precedent, the Olympic Committee will recognize the need and desire for women to participate in the marathon distance in the Olympic Games. Sadly, women didn't compete in the Olympic marathon until 1984. As Anderson's national fame grew, she spoke at various running seminars and published articles in magazines, including Runner's World. In 1975, she ran in her first Boston Marathon. She was rather surprised with the reception she received from various women runners. Three years ago, not many women past 40 were running. One of the greatest thrills of my life was when I went to the Boston Marathon. There were many women entered who were over 40, and they couldn't thank me enough. They said I was an inspiration to my age group. Before the race, she attended a women's meeting and met many of the crusaders and pioneers of women's long-distance running. Her eyes were open to just how much inequality and prejudice still remained against women's long-distance running. The AAU Women's Track and Field Committee still held views that 1,500 meters was perhaps even a bit too far for the fragile female athlete. As for the race, she finished in 24th with 325. At age 46, she was a great example for the older runner. So many women past 40 feel put down as if there are no outlets left. But running is an adventure. It's certainly economical and you can do it no matter how bad the weather. And it's so beautiful to run through parks, especially when there are deer bouncing in front of you. In December 1975, she again lowered her master's world record by running 310 at the Livermore Marathon in California. She was a celebrity and fixture at so many races of all distances and usually always came away with a master's award. In 1976, a newspaper feature wrote, Ruth Anderson is the kind of person any dues-paying male chauvinist would fear. She's the antithesis of Edith Bunker, a fully realized woman over 40 who is having the time of her life. Besides having competed in 57 marathons, she's a full-time scientist, wife, mother, part-time painter, writer, and occasional housekeeper. Anderson clearly had world-class master's marathon speed, but she was ready to go further. She ventured into the unknown and would eventually make her greatest running impact with the ultra distances, leaving a legacy to inspire the next generation of women ultra runners. At age 46, in 1976, she ran her first ultra, the Sacramento Guard Highway 50K on a road course, which was also the AAU 50K championship. She came in second place with an impressive 417. That convinced her that she could continue to achieve high results at ultra distances. Unfortunately, in September of that year, she had to put running on hold when she broke a bone in her foot while running the double dipsy. But she still stayed busy and was appointed the national chairperson for the Women's Masters AEU Long Distance Running Subcommittee. 
In December 1976, she was healed up and ready to tackle her first 100K. The race was on the day after Christmas in San Francisco at Lake Merced. It began with 21 runners braving the freezing weather at 7 a.m. During the early stages, the only scenery was visible by the street lamps until nearly the third lap. Then a whole new course seemed to open up before her with daylight and the lifting of the fog. Her husband John ran with her for a few laps and then took up crew duty in their pit stop van, which she visited each lap. She felt a strong feeling of encouragement when reaching 50k, understanding that she was halfway. She was very surprised how she could run without too much discomfort once she got going again each lap. By the last lap, it was dark again and there were no runners in view. For the last mile, her husband and some friends joined in for the finish. Anderson reached 50 miles in 8.30 and finished 100K in 11.22, which was thought to be an American record breaking the existing fastest known time of 13.22. In 1977, Anderson at the age of 47 ran in the PA AAU 50 mile championship, which was on a point-to-point -point course from Pine Grove to Sacramento, California. She was the first woman finisher and was 11th place overall with a time of 7.35. Special awards started to come to Anderson that year. The University of Nebraska awarded her the President's Award of Merit for long service and overall achievement. As a running administrator, her work continued tirelessly behind the scenes. She was the first recipient to be awarded the Otto Essing Award for meritorious service to Masters Long Distance Running. During 1978, Anderson was in the prime of her master's running career. She ran her fastest marathon times in at least 15 marathons, including her lifetime personal best in 1978 at Avenues of the Giants Marathon with a time of 3.04, finishing in third place. She traveled all over the country competing. It was then time to try something totally new where her name would be entered into the ultra running history books. In July 1978, Don Choi organized a 24-hour race held at a high school track in Woodside, California. Ruth ran 100 miles in 16 hours, 50 minutes. That was the second best 100-mile time ever recorded in the world by a woman up to that time. Ruth considered that this was her greatest accomplishment. This was also the first ultra that was witnessed by a young, soon-to-be Western States 100 legend, Tim Tweetmeyer. He commented, I spent hours watching them circle the track and watching how they paced themselves, what they were eating, and how they decided to take breaks. Anderson's dream was to race the historic London to Brighton race in England. London to Brighton 52 miler began as an official race in 1951, although it had been walked or run unofficially for decades before that. From the 1960s through the 1980s, London to Brighton was the premier road ultramarathon race in the world. The course began at Big Ben in London and went to Brighton Beach, about 52 miles away. Women were not allowed to enter. 7 a.m. on a chilly autumn morning. Ideal conditions for the 66 runners who chose to spend their Sunday pounding a path between the capital and Brighton, a mere 52 and a half miles down the road. Behind the scenes in 1979, Anderson pushed for women to be allowed to run the race. She said, I pleaded with them for six months. It was reported, 
Anderson and others waged a six-month mail and telephone campaign to convince the organizers to let her run. In pushing the point, she opened the door for several other women who had wanted to run, one of whom had gone to London using the identity of a man. Anderson's husband said she beat on them with persistence. It was a coup, and it was something I definitely cared about. Race officials finally relented, and she was the very first woman to ever be accepted into London to Brighton. Three other British women also ran. Anderson finished in third place with 7.46. It was one of my all-time goals, one of my dream races. A feature news article was written about Anderson when she returned to her home of Nebraska to the Lincoln Marathon. Commenting about Ruth, it was written, The average woman hates to admit her age, but not Ruth Anderson. Of course, it could be said with complete accuracy that Ruth Anderson is not your average woman. How many people's idea of fun is running 54 miles? How many women laugh with glee over their 50th birthday because it will put them in a new age division for road races? By 1980, she had finished her 60th marathon, and she was inducted into the Roadrunners Club of America Hall of Fame. In 1981, Anderson discovered the joy of racing on trails. She first had the experience running American River 50, Auburn to Sacramento, and ran it three years in a row. In 1983, at the age of 54, she ran Western States 100 for the first time with a time of 28.11. Up to that point, she became the oldest woman to ever finish Western States. She again finished Western States in 1986 at age 56. She said her happiest memory racing was when her daughter and friends greeted her at the finish that year, and she said that Western States was her favorite ultra. That year in 1986, at the age of 56, Anderson ran Redwood Empire 24 hours in Santa Rosa on a track. Anderson ran 110 miles. That was her last time reaching 100 miles in a race. Her 100-mile split was a very solid 2054. In that race, she set American age records at 50K, 5 hours, 50 miles, 825, 100K, 11 hours, 11 minutes, and 100 miles. That year, a 100K was started in San Francisco around Lake Merced by her friend and training partner, the legendary Dick Collins. It was named in her honor and still exists in the present day. In 1988, Anderson said her long-term goal was to keep running and accepting new and exciting challenges as long as she was physically able to. She hoped to be running and still a world-class performer in her 80s and 90s. In her 60s, she continued to regularly run ultras, mostly 50Ks. She did slow down, but could run 50K as fast as 6 hours. She once said, I never let the bad, disappointing, or discouraging event in my life overshadow the good and rewarding events and the encouraging prospect of the future. Anderson continued to serve the running community. She was on the USA Track and Field Ultra Running Subcommittee and helped pave the way to form the 100K teams to compete in the World Championships. She managed Team USA at these competitions, including the famous 1990 100K when the world's best ultra runners competed in Duluth, Minnesota. In 1996, Anderson was inducted into the USA Track and Field National Masters Hall of Fame. She continued to run races, mostly in California, until she was age 72 in 2002 when she ran 40 miles in a 12-hour race. 
She also ran her last marathon that year in Lincoln, Nebraska, when she finished in 537. In about 2003, Anderson and her husband moved to Eugene, Oregon. She had always loved Eugene, where she had run the Eugene Marathon several times. She was sorely missed by her California running community. Injuries started to plague her. She slipped and broke her collarbone while picking blackberries soon after moving to Eugene. She broke her right wrist, requiring surgery in 2004, training at the University of Oregon's Hayward Field. Then, in 2005, she tripped and fell on a trail after encountering a bicycle. She went down on her face and dislocated both shoulders. It's just ironic. Since I moved from Oakland, I've had nothing but bizarre things happen to me, and it's all with my upper body. I feel like somebody who's got a little black cloud over me. I feel like a voodoo doll. Like someone sticking pins in me? In 2005, at the age of 76, she went to San Sebastian, Spain to compete in the World Masters Games and ran in the 8K cross-country race, finishing in 117. The games were held every other year, and this was her 16th in 30 years, the only woman to compete in all of them. At them, she had won 9 gold medals, 8 silvers, and 14 bronzes, running everything from 800 meters to the marathon. She was interviewed by a news article and asked if she knew how many trophies she had. She responded, Oh heavens no, I've given half of them away. For many of them, she peeled the labels off and donated them to high schools. For her career, she had finished 108 marathons and about 50 ultramarathons. When asked why she still ran, she replied, It's the people and the traveling and the experiences. If it weren't for that, I'd probably be in a deep, dark tunnel somewhere psychologically. I just enjoy being able to run and to keep running. Gosh, you feel so much better when you do something physical. On February 27, 2016, Anderson passed away at age 86 while living in a nursing home in Ontario, Oregon, where her daughter lived. She died just two weeks after her husband, John, died. She had been suffering from Alzheimer's for the previous few years. Ultra Running Magazine honored her on its cover and included, She was a kind and enthusiastic person and an inspiration to many of us. Her spirit was something to behold. Nothing ever even remotely intimidated her. She touched many lives deeply and will be missed. USA Track and Field named the annual Women's Ultra Runner of the Year Award after her. The Ruth Anderson Endurance Run was renamed to the Ruth Anderson Memorial Endurance Run and as of 2019 has been held for 33 years. Longtime friend Len Goldman wrote of Ruth Anderson, she was a role model and mentor to many, and friend to all. She trailblazed the way for women participating in ultra-running events and became an inspiration for generations of women runners who followed in her footsteps. With that, this is Davy Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances. <laughs>